0: Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8. I'm actually going to start at verse 27 if you are following along. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, uh, we thank you for gathering us together this morning to worship you and to learn more about you. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us this morning, uh, changing our hearts and our minds uh, to be more like you, to understand you more so that we can understand one another more. And Lord, we just pray that you are working in us as we wrestle with your scripture this morning. And in your name we pray. Amen. So, I've realized that a lot of the characters in the Bible are pretty stubborn people. Because whenever I think of that intro story that I want to start with, I try to relate it to the scripture. And it seems to always be about stubbornness, so I'm always telling stories about how stubborn I am. Um, And so I think that being stubborn is often, and I don't know if this is true for other people that are stubborn, it's my Achilles heel. Life would be so much simpler if I wasn't so insistent on doing the things the way I wanted. This past weekend, I was in Colorado visiting my best friend, Kristen, and she took me to an ice castle. So we could assume it was gonna be pretty cold in this ice castle because, well, it's made of ice. But we're getting ready to go, and I'm, I'm wearing these shoes, which if you can't see, they're just, uh, well, they're not waterproof, they're, what, what's, this, what's this material? I don't know, suede, suede. Oh, it's, it's not like a girl thing, it's just the, it's suede. So, so they're suede shoes, they're not waterproof. Um, and so my friend Kristen, who has known me for a long time and knows how I am, she says in a hesitant voice, are you sure you want to wear those shoes? Uh, but I have this thing where I decide what shoes I want to wear and I'm going to wear them no matter how impractical it is. I mowed my parents lawn in these shoes earlier this fall. <laughs> and I do recognize It's a little absurd, but once I get this idea in my head that these are the shoes I want to wear, I'm going to wear them. So I tell Kristen, yes, I'm going to wear these shoes. She lets it go because she knows there's no use in trying to change my mind. And we get to the ice castles, and they are really cool, but they're also really cold. Because what I didn't consider is that there's already a lot of snow on the ground. It's not just that there's ice around us, but it snows every day there. Um, So pretty quickly, my toes go from feeling very cold to me not being able to feel them because they're numb. You know, it might be because we're standing in an ice castle in the mountains of Colorado with snow all around us, um, and I'm wearing shoes that my roommate insists should go in the heel category, not the hiking boot category. So we have to leave a little early because I'm, I'm getting really scared about my toes. Uh, but all of this to say, I don't like doing things a different way, even if it means I miss out on something really great. And in this passage today, although we're not talking about shoes, we're talking about the Messiah, but I think Peter's stubbornness is his Achilles heel. His insistence on putting Jesus in a box is more important to him than who Jesus actually is. Up until chapter 8, Jesus mainly expresses his divinity through healings and miracles. And eventually we see that these works did convince the disciples and other followers of Jesus that he was, in fact, the Messiah, as Peter confesses. And it's a victory because there are so many options of who Jesus could be. He could be a prophet, Elijah, John the Baptist. He could be the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah. Which one is it, and what are the differences? The healings and miracles might have played the primary role in showing that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, but what they don't portray is what it means to be the Messiah. In the same passage that Peter makes this confession, Jesus makes the bold claim that he will be rejected, suffer, and die. Without knowing what we know, which is the whole story, one would think these two things are contradictory. To be the Messiah means victory, not death. So we see Jesus spending all this time trying to get his disciples to understand who he is. And finally, Peter responds with the right answer. You are the Christ. Up until this, the disciples have not been able to profess who they think Jesus is. And now Peter does. But just because he knows the answer doesn't mean he understands what the answer means. As soon as Peter professes this revelation, Jesus begins to explain what that means, and Peter is not having it. Because Peter's idea of what it means to be the Messiah is different than Jesus' definition of what a Messiah is, and he doesn't want to hear it. You would think that he would listen to who the Messiah says a Messiah is, but hey, who am I to judge? Maybe Peter refuses to listen to Jesus' words because he feels like he finally got it, and now he is confused all over again. Or maybe it's out of fear of not knowing what this confession he just professed means. Regardless, though, this confession leads to more questions the question that now arises is, what does it mean to be the Messiah? Peter's understanding of Messiah includes victory, power, status. And Jesus tries to help us correct this view by proclaiming that the Messiah will suffer, which clearly doesn't fit into Peter's current understanding. And Jesus also tries to help us correct this idea by the questions that he asks us. Pastor Jeff pointed out a few weeks ago at my ordination service that Jesus doesn't guide us by giving us answers, but by asking us questions. And at first these questions seem weird and over philosophical, but they are intended to get us thinking that what we think to be true and what is actually true might be very different. Jesus has all these contrasting statements Who do people say that I am versus who do you say that I am? What are the things of God versus what are the things of man? Whoever loses his life will save it versus whoever saves his life will lose it. What do these things mean? What is Jesus getting at? Before we tackle these questions, I think it is important to look at why it's essential for us to work towards getting a more accurate view of who God is. Last week, I was talking to someone at a gathering on spiritual direction. This guy was in a doctoral program on rhetoric and writing a thesis linking the connection between theology, race, and artificial intelligence. Fascinated, I asked him to explain more the connection between theology and AI. I know, right? <laughs> uh, as we talked, it became clear that I was very fearful of humanity's ability to use AI for good. I was convinced we were too corrupt to put this technology to good use. And he said to me, knowing that I'm a pastor, that I need a more redemptive view of humanity. What if we could use AI to help people become more self-aware? What if we could use AI to help people become more in touch with their emotions? To learn how to be in relationship better? I was letting my fear of something I didn't know very much about dictate the possibilities of what could become of it. It never occurred to me that the church could use AI as a tool to create and sustain relationships. And honestly, I felt like technology such as AI was doing more in the work of severing relationships. But he asked me, what if the church could finally get ahead of the curve and use, and use AI to bring people together? To bring about the things of the gospel? I needed a more redemptive view of humanity. And I think Peter needs a more redemptive view of Jesus. It's like he's trying to save Jesus from himself, except Jesus doesn't need to be saved. We need to be saved from ourselves. Peter's understanding of a Messiah is one of achieving victory by way of violence and oppression. It is one that values winning and being right over anything else. The understanding of Messiah that we see in Jesus is that of achieving victory by way of peace. It is one that values relationship above all else. And sadly, I think many of us have the same view as Peter, or at least we're in the process of recovering from that view. But what is really concerning about this is whatever view we hold of our Messiah directly affects our view of humanity. We are created in God's image. So if we believe that God is only for us in as much as it benefits him, what does that say about our view of who we are and how we treat other people? But if we believe that God is for us, even at the cost of suffering and rejection, and that his love is the key to victory, now then what does that say about our view of ourselves and our capacity to love other people? I think we need a more redemptive view of God. We need to believe that God is the redeemer of all things and that includes us. We are redeemable. Our actions are redeemable. And our relationships are redeemable. Only once we start professing God as this type of Messiah, then can we have a more redemptive view of humanity. So why do we need a more redemptive view of humanity? Because we need hope. I don't know many people who take action or work towards a goal unless they have the hope that they can one day achieve that goal. Many times we are motivated by anger, but anger that isn't righteous, is just anger for the sake of revenge, not for redemption. And as Christians, we aren't called to action to get revenge, but we are called to action for the possibility of redemption, that something good can and will come out of unfathomable evil. What good is action and protest if we don't believe they have the power to affect someone, to change someone? It's why we do it. Do you have the hope that humanity can change? I do because I know that many of you in here have changed. And if you've seen the the YouTube video that's been going around of just that one man who cut his gun in half, It's one person that changed, and it's small. But if one person can change, then that means other people can change. And the beauty of the gospel is that these stories are here for us to learn from the characters' experiences and even their mistakes. I think this is one of the ways that we mean when we say that scripture speaks to us today. We can continue to learn about how to do this life from these stories. You see, unlike the disciples, we know the whole story. In the cross, we see what it means to be the Messiah. Being in relationship is the ultimate form of victory. We do not need to let fear rule our lives anymore. Although we do let fear rule our lives, we still act as the disciples, as if we don't know the end of the story. But we need to remember that we do. And so we don't have to live lives ruled by fear of the unknown. In the cross, we have all been redeemed. Even if it doesn't seem like it, but we all have the ability to open our minds, accept different truths, and allow ourselves to be changed. Peter realizes a truth that is true for him, and as soon as that gets challenged, he objects and gets angry. It's hard to listen to truths that differ from your own, and it's hard to let go of what you thought you knew. But it's the only way if we want to be saved from ourselves. So those confusing sayings. What does Jesus want us to learn? He says, who do others say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Am I a prophet or the Messiah? and what kind of Messiah. He says, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Maybe God is saying that the things of men are what we come up with, with our limited understanding. And the things of God are what we come up with when we begin to ask outside of our own truths. What other possible solutions could there be? What other ways to victory could there be? The gospel shows us that the way to victory will look very different than we are conditioned than the way we are conditioned to think it looks like. And he says, "For wh- whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it." The life of a Christian is radical, and honestly, despite whether we check off the Christian box on a survey or not, very few people live out this radical lifestyle. Christianity is radical because it is choosing to sacrifice for others, to give up your life for others. It's not about you, it's about your neighbor. This work requires putting others before yourself, sacrificing what you thought your life might look like, what you think, and even what you believe. Jesus poses these questions these statements to show us that whatever you think you know, you probably don't. Some of us might have a more accurate understanding than others, but we are still so far from really understanding the Messiah as revealed in Jesus Christ. Suffering for the redemption of humankind is a good place to start. So let's not take advantage of that gift. We are in the season of Lent where we live in this time and ask, what would life be like if the cross never happened? That is why we hold off on the Allelujahs and victory screams and praises, because we need to imagine what the world would look like without Jesus. I think many of us live our lives as if it is the season of Lent 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We don't live as if redemption is possible here and now. God is the redeemer though. The cross did conquer all for the sake of relationships and Lent is a season that ends. Before we get there, we need to do the hard work of preparing ourselves for that Easter celebration. In the Ash Wednesday service that I led at Concord Presbyterian Church, I used the image of a flute. A flute is empty and it has holes. Only in it being empty inside is it able to be used for its purpose, to make beautiful music. And I want to encourage us all this Lenten season to think about what it means to empty ourselves, to make space for the things that give us purpose, to make space for new understandings of God and humanity, to make space for God to change your mind about what victory looks like and to make space for hope that we are a redeemable people because we serve the God that is Redeemer. Amen.